This is the Roaring Elfin podcast for the 10th of December 2019. Getting close to the end of the year, and how is my containerized co-host Dave? Very well, thank you, sir. Very well indeed. Well, then you're the only and containerized thing that's doing well at the moment. <laughs> but I let's mean, there are again. plenty of containerized things doing very well. One um, of them, or maybe two of them now, maybe not doing so well. Uh, we'll see in a minute, because it's a news episode, and we have a couple of news articles to share with our audience today. Uh, before we go into that, anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. No, it means end of the year, things are winding down. We have no community <laughs> messaging anymore, it's horrible. <laughs> apart from, apart from, where's my present? Do you have a good present for me? A present? I want a present. Yeah. Why do you want a present? Christmas present. Christmas? It's the 10th of December, man. It's still ages away. Uh, I know, but I'm expecting you to have thought about it. I'm expecting well, great things from you this year. I can't say I have totally thought about it and I've come to a firm conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> right. You get what you give, man. That's how it works. Fair enough. It's Fair it. enough. <laughs> so, let's get to it then. Yes, let's talk about Docker, the hugely unicorn open source thing out there that's going to rule the world, right? Mm, not so much, it would seem. Well, it would seem and it wouldn't seem, because whenever we talk about Docker, we have these talks also before we start recording stuff. I also a bit, I mean, this is an article, let's just do some <laughs> some structure in the podcast for a change. It's on TechCrunch, uh, and it's about Mirantis acquiring Docker Enterprise, which is pretty much the only, can I say, commercial part of Docker that still existed until this point. Because, of course, yep. all of Docker is just open source. You can use whatever you want. Uh, but And that's where my question came from. I mean, this Docker Enterprise thing, apparently Mirantis bought this for an undisclosed sum of money. It's probably going to be a lot, although maybe not. Who, who knows? Uh, but what, what, what's still in there? What kind of IP do they still have? Because for, for all I know, and I'm not an expert here, you have Docker, which is the containerization based on top of LXC and with some file system stuff built in to make it useful. And then you had the orchestration layer on top of that was Docker Swarm. And Docker Swarm got kind of gobbled up by Kubernetes a year ago, I think. I mean, it still existed side by side, but the moment that Kubernetes had the API equivalency of Docker Swarm, nobody actually used Docker Swarm anymore, if they still wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, we need to migrate, we don't want to do forklift upgrade, so let's just do side-by-side deployment and silently move all Docker Swarm stuff into Kubernetes. That's how I read it always, and that's, I think, how it worked. So Docker Swarm already was pretty much dead and buried. So what is still in this Docker Enterprise today, except, I don't know, uh, support contracts, I guess? I mean, so there is there is still some software here. I'm just looking at the uh, docker.com slash products slash Docker Enterprise page. Um, and it, it does talk about the fact that there's there's a secure registry and collaboration piece, some kind of Docker. So Docker Hub is still part of Docker Enterprise. Um, and also the, they, they're still talking about uh, orchestration and runtime uh, application elements as well. So the uh, a, a Docker universal control plane for Kubernetes and Swarm. So, you know, I think it's it's still a bunch of... There is still some software there. It operates on top of Kubernetes to give you 
extra enterprisey goodness. What that enterprisey goodness is, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Because um, it's a very uh, crowded yeah, world in there, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I, I mean, it's it's not just it's not just the um, it's not just the acquisition, but they they also landed an additional thirty five million um, in investment from Benchmark Capital and Insight Partners, and at the same time uh, announced yet another CEO. So obviously, Rob Bearden um, was in seat there, I think, for about six months. Um, and uh, and he has now. I mean, I can only guess that he was essentially brought in to make this, um, you know, make this purchase by Mirantis happen in some way, shape, or form. And now he's done that. Uh, they Transition want someone person. that will. Yeah, they want someone that will go and operate and run the business. So um, yeah, it's it's a bit strange. I mean, Mirantis, I've known about and had dealings with for quite a, quite a number of years um you know certainly s- probably 7 maybe even 8 years um you know very early days they were sort of very much heavily involved in openstack um yeah that's what they I, d- I don't know how to how to put this but yeah but but possibly not terribly well regarded in the open stack world um open made a lot of promises totally. <laughs> sorry well sorry, i mean sorry. even kind of even back in the day when when open stack was at its peak Morantis themselves were were not not terribly well regarded and you know they they've obviously been attempting to pivot into the um, the Kubernetes ecosystem, the Kubernetes world, after the uh, slow decline, or somewhat rapid decline actually now of, of OpenStack in the majority of cases. Um, and I, I can only I can only really imagine that this is part of Mirantis' sort of final um, Hail Mary to try and keep, um, you know, keep some level of, of relevance and uh, some level of IP and, and really just trying to get themselves bought in with uh, you know a lot of experts that are you know key yeah, yeah. in this industry, so it's a bit like IBM buying Red Hat. <laughs> well, I would say that that was—I mean, that wasn't that was a very expensive purchase, but I would say at least Red Hat seems to be um, you know or is still very much the gorilla in the the open source kind of OS uh, and sort of middleware markets and that sort of area and yeah they're doing reasonably well in cloud as well um there's a decent amount of revenue there Ah, docker or rather docker enterprise Mm, not sure you could say the same for that and it's so it, it it is it is a little bit of that i mean they're they're two let's see what size were they i think docker enterprise was about 300 people and maybe Mirantis was 400 or 450. I'm sure I saw that somewhere in some of these. Okay, so Mirantis was 450 and yeah, Docker was 300. So it's two quite similar sized organizations, you know, that are going to need to mesh together here. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty tumultuous time, I would imagine, for, for that sort of that sort of merger because they they in order for them to survive i think they're really going to have to correctly 
uh, and totally integrate. You know, it won't be. This is not an organization. You, I mean, you could say the IBM Red Hat organizations could really exist side by side and would still do pretty well um, within a larger or under a larger IBM umbrella. I don't see that being the case for Docker Enterprise Mirantis. I, I think they need to completely integrate and come up with a new product direction together for them to be successful. And that sounds incredibly painful. Yeah, because, I mean, if they're the same size companies, then it's hard for one of them to... I mean, whatever, it's a merger or an acquisition, doesn't matter. There's always one vision, leadership, point of dictatorship, let's say. And if they're the same size, who's going to... There's going to be a battle going on there. But I, I don't think that either... I mean, the problem... Again, the problem for me, at least, outside looking in, have no inside information here, is that neither organization had a, a really strong vision. So it's not even as yeah. if they can, like one of them can lead, as you were talking about. I think they both need to throw their visions out the window and come up with a brand new joint vision. Uh, and I, yeah. oh, I, I think don't that know. Vision is it, that's already. a lot it's to ask. Yeah, but can they? You know, can they offer something within the Kubernetes ecosystem that is fundamentally useful and interesting? I mean, there are there are people in the Kubernetes in ecosystem that that actually provide some some interesting value add. Um, yeah, you're talking about Prometheus you know, and Loki. No, I'm talking about organisations like you know Jetstack or um, uh, what's the what's the what's this hyper mega swarm or whatever their name is um, hyper mega swarm yeah oh god um, anime references here <laughs> yes swarm. giant swarm there we go i knew it was something something large thing swarm um who have you know found um a a pretty nice um point in the ecosystem you know, offering managed Kubernetes as a service is, is Giant Swarm's uh, particular thing. So, I mean, do, do you maybe, think that those maybe. things have a future? Because managing, I mean, orchestration levels on top of Kubernetes, it's an extra uh, layer on top of it. We have OpenShift already on the Red Hat side, so everybody's doing on premise has yep. OpenShift. If you're in the cloud, every cloud has a managed version. Google obviously has one, Azure has one. I'm pretty sure Amazon has one too, but I, I spend less time on Amazon, so I don't know for sure. They do. How much value add can a giant swarm or something like them actually provide here? Because the whole idea of Kubernetes is to make it easy, right? How hard is Kubernetes then? Then you need that much abstraction layers on top of it, which only complicates things, to be honest. I think like a lot of these things, there um, there are additional management layers that enterprises want that aren't necessarily in total alignment with the way that um, you know, core Kubernetes operates at the moment. You know, will it get there? Will it, you know, kill these these things by including some of this functionality built in? Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. But there's, there's long been a, a trait for vendors to find a niche, um, uh, you know, some sort of element. You know, you can talk about privacy and encryption and that sort of thing. And there are people that offer privacy and, and encryption sort of elements on top of, a variety of different platforms, whether you're talking about traditional databases, big data platforms, even Kubernetes. Um, so I, I still think there's, I still think there are places in the world for um, whether it's orchestration layers on top or additional management yeah. and automation and integration services. I still think there's a 
there's a place there. I don't think Kubernetes will continue to just absorb all of this stuff. Will it have a limited lifetime? Maybe. I see. I feel like they're on the wrong level in the full application stack that somebody's using. Because I do understand, I think there's a need for organizations to facilitate deployment of certain application application groups on top of Kubernetes because I want to deploy, I don't know, uh, let's use WordPress as an example, bad example, but everybody knows what it is. I want to deploy WordPress on top of Kubernetes. That's hard. If somebody could tell me, oh, go here and we'll deploy Kuber- uh, WordPress on Kubernetes for you on the choice of your uh, cloud of your choice, that I think is value add because that effectively can then integrate security, single sign-ons, network, whatever, tied to that application. And that's a lot of uh, guesswork, figuring things out. Okay, that's been done for me. Great. But what I feel is that things like OpenShift even, and I'm assuming Giant Swarm as well, though I would have not looked at them at all, so apologies if I'm totally wrong here. They're, they're too close. They stay too close to the bottom. And I still need to figure all of that top level stuff out. So that's why I see, I think, I don't know, I don't know, I, yeah, mixed feelings. One thing, I <laughs> just to jump a little bit astray here, because you put me down to the Docker site when you talked about what they had of products, so I went there. At the bottom there, it has a survey, Docker platform is developer favorite in Stack Overflow survey, developers rank Docker number one in most loved platform and number two, most wanted platform, blah, 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 check out the full survey. And this is the Stack Overflow survey from 2019, which I think we'll talk about in a later date at some point. But if I look at it here, mm-hmm. what struck me is if you look at uh, technology, most popular technologies under platform category, Docker is indeed third after Linux and Windows. Now, question one is, this is probably the Docker container ID and not the Docker Enterprise Swarm or whatever they're talking about. So that's one thing. Yeah. But the thing I've noticed is that Kubernetes is all at the bottom, only beaten as worst by IBM Cloud or Watson, <laughs> which I understand. Uh, so people like Docker, they hate Kubernetes apparently, at least don't like it as uh, as much or very much like it less, which is weird because who in this time is still doing Docker without Kubernetes and how can you like one and not the other? <laughs> I do not know, but that sounds like a question for a topic show. <sighs> oh, well. But I do want to mention that because, I mean, Docker, yeah, you can put this on your website, but this is a bit of anti-publicity if you do it this way, babe. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, you know, anyway, lies, damn lies, and marketing. We do wish the people at Docker and Marantis all the success they can use and deserve because, as you said before, this is probably a chaotic time for them. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's gonna be well. tough. So let's hope that uh, something nice and great blooms out of this fertile ground. Mm-hmm. So speaking earlier of, of things changing, uh, you found uh, an interesting article about the you know the continued evolution of open source licensing, and this particular one, the relicensing of Sentry. Not the Sentry you're probably thinking of if you're thinking of Apache Sentry. This is a different Sentry. Yep, an article by David Kramer, who's at Sentry apparently, and who wrote this thing. And I'm not actually talking about uh, the the, 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 the article itself, because it's probably good software. Mm -hmm. I have not used it. I don't care about that. But it's an article about how they're changing their licensing from being totally open source to BSD3 to whatever, whatever. And now they've found a new one, which is a commercialized open source thing, being the business source license. And the first thing I want to talk about here is, 
well, apparently uh, open source software, we're still trying to figure out how to do this because we have had a lot of people trying different things and this is yet another one. <sighs> how long will it take before we actually do something and does open source, the, the real open source management board, need to rethink their approach? Well, I mean, the, the, the business source license was sort of popularized initially by um, Cockroach Labs, mm-hmm. as, as is actually mentioned in the article. Um, and it, it's, this, it's this bizarre mixture of um, you, you can't offer a commercial version of the Sentry service. Um, and That's directly after against it, the public clouds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after 36 months, the code becomes Apache 2.0 license. We used um, to have a different name for that, right? Abandonware. But nobody well, uses it anymore. You can use it for free. <laughs> I mean, 36 months, that's I mean, a long time. That's three years. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much, it's not so much abandonware as it's, it's again, designed to... Um, you know, stop people from taking the latest, greatest stuff and just you know, doing something with it um, without yeah. having some sort of commercial sure. agreement with the organization. I'm happy with that part of it. But after three years, people will not using it anymore because it doesn't integrate with anything else anymore. Anyway, at that point, this just becomes a PR stunt. I mean, there is no actual value anymore because any code that is still being used in newer versions of their software probably still remains theirs because that's still under the commercial version because it's a new version that still uses the same IP stuff. So the only thing that's going to be dropped off after 36 months is stuff that nobody can use, wants to use, or is interesting at all anymore. So just don't add that and just say it's uh, not available for commercial services and that's it. I mean, this whole 36 months, it becomes, then it becomes free. Sounds great. But in the end, what does it actually mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still scratching my head over this kind of changing, evolving future of open source um, and kind of weird licenses popping up left, right and center in order to try and, um, you know, deal with the quote-unquote predatory tactics of cloud providers. Um, I, I can't say as I'm a particular fan of this uh, this direction, but I also know that there's, you know, these are, these are organizations that are making these decisions because they have real concerns sure. about, you know, essentially vanishing off the face of the planet yeah, because yeah, someone, you know, someone goes down a, a different direction with their, with, the code that they've spent a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know, putting yeah, together yeah, over the indefinitely. years. Indefinitely. It's not that like somebody takes it now and okay, this version now is a ruin for us. Yeah. But whenever I put something new out, it's out there again. So there's no future. I mean, nobody's going to invest in you anymore. There's no money coming in. There's no business case if, if you, if you, if this goes on like this. So, yeah. I, see, I mean, we both work in uh, in open source, so we, we, we feel this <laughs> very personally as well. Yeah, we need to yeah. figure something out to make this uh, both acceptable and usable and be happy, joy, joy for everybody. And if I had the solution, I guess I'd be rich, although if it's open source, then I have to give it away for free anyway, so I wouldn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that... I think the, I think the, the idea of having a, a solution for this is unfortunately... I don't think there is a solution for this. I think I think we will keep coming. I think people will keep coming up with a variety of interesting, slightly painful, different band aids for this. But I think the 
the problem is that the the economics of the world have moved on and you know what oh. what we what we know and thought of as open source in terms of people working together and, and culture and and a lot of the um, a lot of those things are are still alive to a certain extent but the the commercialization and the business of open source and selling open source specifically has has forever changed that that sort of happy go lucky um you know we're all in this together kind of nature mm-hmm. like that's that's just not the way that the world is now and you know you can you can point your fingers at cloud providers they're not they're not you know solely to blame though there's been plenty of different uh, plenty True, of but steps they have a larger scale along this they do. They, they do. Make it, but, uh, you have to now do something about it. If it's just a, a couple of companies that are doing something, which they shouldn't be doing, but it's only a fraction of the marketplace, okay, whatever. But public yeah. clouds are so pervasive now, it becomes a real problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, would the GNU license actually uh, solve this? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you do GNU, then if you use my stuff on your stuff, your stuff has to be open source too, so everybody else can use your stuff too. I mean, it's been said that nobody wants to use GNU because it's too uh, viral, and yeah, that is indeed the, a problem. I can I can see that one, but it would solve this problem because if uh, Amazon, Azure, Google, whatever implement a Mongo as a service, then the whole of the cloud platform becomes open source, which means they won't do it basically. Yeah, but you know, the again, the uh, in particular. The folks at uh, Sentry uh, are saying that it's it's just not um, it's just not suitable. The, the open core model GPL. In fact, their specific words are oh, GPL. Yeah, uh, that's why I was looking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, open core model GPL and permissive licenses like BSD and Apache Duo are not sufficient for the way that open source is OSS is distributed and used today. But so, don't explain why it's not sufficient. I mean, what's their main problem there? Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't go into that. No. So, yeah. The idea was a bit fun. We're always looking now at looking at the permissive licenses and how we can reduce them to something that's viable for everybody. But we should maybe look at looking at the very viral, very non-permissive ones and see how we can make those a little bit more permissive to maybe meet in the middle somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Smarter uh, I, people I think it's probably. <laughs> yeah, much, much. I mean, there's hey, be nice. Entire, there was an entire, <laughs> there was an entire conference full of people talking about this uh, a few months back. Anyway, who didn't come to a conclusion either? So they're not smarter than exactly, me. <laughs> exactly. So I think it's yeah, it it will be interesting to see how this story continues to develop. Um, for those that uh, also thought uh, when we were talking about Sentry uh, initially that we were talking about Apache Sentry. Um, uh, there's they a, have there's no problem about, the, about predatory clouds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they definitely do not, and it's a little bit of a sad story, really. Because if you look at the uh, the mailing list archives, certainly at least the dev archives on Apache.org, uh, you can see that it Apache Sentry really, for all intents and purposes, appears to be dead. Um, there's there's kind of very little interaction now on the mailing lists. Um, yeah. It's actually is a, a good point. I mean, we're going off tangent, which we never do, of course. But I mean, uh, Sentry, uh, just to give a little more background, that's the security part of uh, the Cloudera distribution, or that's what it, where it came from. 
as enough, was back then yeah. as was back then with the merger with Hortonworks they uh, decided to adopt Ranger instead Ranger was the Hortonworks counterpart to Sentry let's say I mean I'm, I'm a little bit uh, how do you call that glossing over details but that's basically what it is yeah of course but it does interesting because Sentry was an open source thing which was supposed to have a community behind it and uh, we always say open source is good because of the community you have longevity because even if a commercial entity drops their interest in it if it's an Apache thing you have multiple uh, commercial interests in there so it will live on in a different shape or form perhaps but it will live on yep. clearly in this case um, Cloudera pulled out obviously because well, they want to sanitize on Ranger so why would they uh, keep maintaining a quote unquote competing product and quite literally it went off a cliff it, it died pretty much instantly there which is yep. looking at open source and that idea of yeah it's a community so it'll, it'll have a lot more better longevity yeah that doesn't always seem to be working out that way which is an interesting uh, yeah yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I've just taken a look at the, uh, the the Ranger community, just looking at similar stats, and in fact, they they seem to be very nice and happy and and productive. So that's that's good news at least. Um, so there's still a lot of a lot of code going on, a lot of um, a lot of developer conversations going on. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting that. You know, Apache. The Apache process is supposed to ensure that these kind of things can't or shouldn't happen. Um, but you know, that being said, if the if the major um, the major focus around a particular project does die, and the major usage for that project does die, then the greatest community in the world is probably not going to continue to to drive that project forward because if it doesn't have a reason a purpose in life then you know it that that death is is natural and you know you do see projects um kind of exiting from the apache or um what's the phrase i think they've got the the attic isn't it the apache attic uh, attic or um, that, know, something like that yeah i think it's the attic that the projects eventually get retired to um, so yeah, I think Sentry is uh, Apache Sentry is probably one of those. Uh, yeah, Apache Attic was created in November two thousand eight to provide access to solutions made clear when Apache project has reached its end of life, specifically mm-hmm. to be responsible for the oversight of projects which otherwise would not have oversight. <laughs> okay, I'm not quite sure what oversight you need to provide on an app, on a, a project that is uh, essentially gone and dead buried. But there you go. Mm. But it does Glad kind it of exist nonetheless. Brings to light that Apache has also become a kind of a brand, something that uh, if it's Apache, it must be good. And well, you should always do due diligence. Yeah, right. but but even even good things die eventually. Yeah, but still, I mean, lives just being Apache is only it's just a stamp on a product. You have to do a little bit of due diligence, look in the code, look at uh, who's using it, if it's in the peer group. You have to do stuff like that. That being yeah, said, sure. was Sentry used a lot outside of the Cloudera stack? I don't think so, because no, then they would, so. it would have survived longer, since the Cloudera stack yep. has now pretty much disappeared uh, in favor of their new... Uh, uh, pulling together of Merged. the Hortworks and uh, Cloudera yep. stack. And is it a bad thing that Sentry is going away? Probably not. Probably not. So, oh well, open source. It's always fun to talk about. Indeed. So, speaking not necessarily of open source, tell me oh. about Azure Arc. Yeah, the quintessential anti-open source Microsoft, or so it used to be in the ball in the Balmer era, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an article, and we're getting long here, so we're not going to talk too much about it. But a while ago, we talked about Google Anthos, who was kind of doing the hybrid cloud, ap- cloud approach of having your Google Cloud uh, resources and your on-premise resources all under one management orchestration layer, as long as we're based on Kubernetes. That was pretty much the uh, uh, restricting factor there. Uh, Microsoft's Azure, also big cloud, so if the other guy is doing something, we need to do something too. So they have now at Ignite, which was a while ago now, but this only now I found the article, the, they've uh, birthed something called Azure Arc, which pretty much says the same thing. You're going to be able to manage all of your on-prem and cloud assets, as long as your cloud assets are in Azure. Nope, they're even going to go on clouds that are not Azure. And your on-prem stuff, all in the same management and um, orchestration layer. There is, at this point, no talk about restricting it to any kind of dockerized environment. It's pretty much going to be everything and anything you wanted to do. <sighs> so I got a couple of reactions here to start with, and then I would like to have your uh, <laughs> view on this. Number one is... Uh, Okay, this does everything. Without other words, this is magic. Uh, I want I want me some magic, please. Thank you very much. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the actual limitations are to this. But it does seem to be the end of Azure Stack, which was basically Microsoft's uh, Azure in your data center idea. Mm. And that was a kind of black box appliance you bought from a HP or Dell or whatever, put in your in your uh, data center and have Microsoft uh, do its thing on that. And as an extension of Azure, that already had a lot of limitations. Uh, with Azure Arc, Azure Stack has no use anymore because I don't need this black box appliance anymore. I can just put my normal servers under this thing now. So why would I pay extra money for an appliance from a server vendor? But my main concern is, which I also said with uh, the Anthos thing, do we really want to do this? Do we want to have all of our management in the cloud? Because just talking about practicalities, I mean, all of the telemetry that needs to go from your on-premise to the cloud, a lot of times that's not available. You're in an air-gapped environment, uh, security issues, security officers do have a job and they will not like having things like metadata escape your environment. Mm. And I mean, as hard as it is today for people to just put part of their 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 development deployments in clouds, I mean that's already a big step for a lot of things. I don't see this making it easier because it's a bigger step even. And I think in the end, how the how will you make this work? Because there's so many different things. Either it's going to be very light layer. I mean, I can yeah. do it already. I have IPMI on my servers. I can make a little shell script on a website that does IPMI stop starts on my servers. I am now having a completely hybrid uh, security plane. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, but we'll see how this works out. But again, just like with Antos, I think this is mostly the clouds um, doing a... Yeah, the hybrid cloud thing has been... Uh, buzzwordy for a while now they have to do something with it and this is Microsoft's uh, yeah PR marketing stunt towards it I'd say but I don't really see this really working out well if you if this is something that works for you why just don't go to the cloud then I mean apparently that's where it all's going to end up anyway what do you think I really don't know because a lot of this, so it's able, so you register a variety of different services with the Azure Resource Manager. So you can register VMware vSphere, AWS, GCP, um, and you can also register 
Kubernetes clusters, whether that's your own kind of on-prem pivotal Kubernetes or on vSphere or Amazon's EKS or uh, Google's uh, GKE. But the the biggest challenge for this surely is great. You've now got some sort of control plane. And as you say, like maybe it's something very, very lightweight. But that doesn't really imply a, a great degree of control or, or centralized. So, so for example, if, if I've got a, uh, a particular containerized application on my, I don't, on, on my Azure environment, um, does this, you know, if I update that, does this take care of moving that, that updated container across to the other Kubernetes environments and updating those as well? Um, you know, spinning up a new version, killing the old ones? I don't think so. So it it seems like it provides a very thin almost orchestration layer on top of a lot of different things. But I'm not really sure that I understand how valuable that is because there's so much more to it than being able to just see everything from behind a quote-unquote single pane of glass. Um, I Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I really understand what the what the true value for this. I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things that will demo really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as you kind of scratch the uh, scratch through the relatively thin veneer, you know, can it do this? Can it do that? I think there are going to be a lot of restrictions. So, yeah. and, and it's not going to take away yeah. anything. Either. It's not going to simplify things because if you're using VMware vSphere in, in your own uh, data center, even if you deploy this, you will still need VMware vSphere platform software to oh, yeah. do it on-prem anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about having a thin layer of orchestration. I think it's not even that. I mean, you, you could do some resource management, I guess, be able to make a nice Excel sheet of what you have running at a certain time. That might be useful, I guess. Mm, not convinced. Yeah. I also like the phrase, uh, it, this means that any server, even if it's running behind a firewall, a proxy becomes not a resource as far as Azure is concerned. So I put a something <laughs> on my server, I firewall stuff completely so there's no network access, and I can still do it on, the, on, on Azure. Wow. As I said, it's magic. It's magic. <laughs> anyway, it's now oh, waiting dear. for Amazon to do the same thing, because Amazon is the only one still left out who does only have uh, a cloud and a Azure Stack-like thing, which is Azure Outposts, which is their appliance you can put in your data center. So I guess we're going to revisit this in another couple of months when Azure, uh, sorry, when Amazon does the same thing and probably still oh, have they, the same they, reservations. They already do it. They already do it. Uh, well, I've just a- looked at their page and they have VMware Cloud from AWS, which is not it, and then they have AWS Outposts. No, with this AWS, yeah. Yeah, AWS Outposts, on-premise infrastructure. Yeah, but that's their infrastructure. That's like the, that's like the Azure Stack approach. That's when you put stuff in that's under Amazon's control mostly because they decide how yeah. it works. It's not like, uh, Arc goes a lot further uh, okay, than that. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. You're, yeah. So you're when Amazon have an option that ties all of the other cloud providers in as well. Yeah, exactly. Which right. I think Amazon yeah. won't do because they have that, this idea that everybody will come to Amazon anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm 
definitely on the same page with that. I can't see them going down that route. <laughs> but they'll have to. And because all of the solution architects are going to customers now will get the question, okay, I can do hybrid cloud with Google and with Azure. Can you do it too? Well, we have Outpost. Yeah, but they do more. Well, so they'll need to have just like, yeah. they'll need to have a market. Depending store. on your definition of hybrid cloud. <laughs> They'll need a, uh, they'll need something vaporware, slideware to make them. Yes, we can do it too. Because again, hybrid cloud in this vision, in my opinion, does not work. Yes, hybrid cloud works when you have Salesforce SaaS and Office three sixty five or Google Docs as a SaaS solution and some stuff on on premise, and you have some integration going on there. Yeah, that's doing stuff on premise and in cloud, and that I guess you could call hybrid cloud, and that should work. I mean, a lot of people work it today to more or less success, but that's beside the point. This kind of vision of, uh, of uh, hybrid cloud, it's more of a, uh, let's use the predatory word, why not, where the, the cloud side kind of gobbles up your on-premise and it becomes part of the cloud. That, in my vision, is not hybrid cloud, but more of a land and expand and uh, control, destroy mechanism. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> don't know. Unsure, uncertain. And here we go. I mean, people come to us for certainties, man, for, for visionary, for... Do they? They must be very disappointed on a regular <laughs> basis. Well, that does it for me for today. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all the certainty we have for today. Uh, you can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. Uh, we are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bell. Leave, even leave us comments, all the YouTube stuff. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, you can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag. And finally, send any feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Dave. My name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. Nice to see you.